0: Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and we're going to jump right into the show today. We got a couple updates. One is on the Lori Vallow case. Interestingly enough, we initially covered the Lori Vallow and Chad Dable case back in episode 81 in June of 2020, but this case is currently unfolding in the court system, and a pathologist recently revealed how Lori Vallow's kids died. Pilar Melendez wrote this article. An Idaho forensic pathologist detailed how doomsday mom Lori Vallow's two children were killed in 2019, including how her seven-year-old son was allegedly strangled to death by a plastic bag over his head and duct tape over his mouth. Dr. Garth Warren, who works for the Ada County Coroner's Office, told jurors in Vallow's murder trial that he conducted the autopsies on J.J. Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan a few days after they were found buried in the backyard of Chad Daybell's home in June 2020. Authorities say that J.J. was found in a pet cemetery while his 17-year-old sister Tylee was dismembered and buried in a fire pit nearby. Authorities say J.J. died of asphyxiation and Tylee died by unspecified means, but her death was a homicide. JJ was found with a plastic bag over his head and it was tight, and there were signs of a struggle. Warren told jurors that right from the beginning, there was something that had obviously jumped out in JJ's autopsy. He said that JJ was still wearing a red pajama set when he was found, wrapped in a garbage bag with a white plastic bag over his head and duct tape all around his body, including his forearms, hands, and ankles. The child also had bruising on his arms and an abrasion on his neck from the grisly slaying. Warren added that a toxicology report concluded that J.J. was found with low levels of ethanol, the date rape drug GHB, and caffeine in his system. The amounts of GHB, he noted, were inconclusive. There's really no way for me to tell for sure whether this is just a naturally occurring product in the body or if J.J. was given GHB. I can't say one way or another based on the levels." Warren also noted that Tylee's autopsy was different than her brother's because she arrived at the morgue in multiple bags. He said her toxicology came back positive for ibuprofen, iron, carboxyhemoglobin. hemoglobin. If this particular element was breathed in when a person is alive, the readings would be high, but Tylee's were extremely low. There is no evidence to support that Tylee was alive when she was buried. The bombshell testimony marks the first time prosecutors have revealed how Valo's long missing children were killed in September 2019 before being buried in her apocalyptic author husband's backyard. Prosecutors allege that a month later, the religious fanatics allegedly conspired to kill David's first wife, Tammy, for insurance and social security funds before fleeing to Hawaii. Vallow has pleaded not guilty to several charges and faces a maximum sentence of life in prison. Defense attorneys for Vallow insist that the loving mother could never kill her children, but Warren went into harrowing detail on the stand about how the two children who were officially reported missing in December 2019 were killed. He noted that in addition to the plastic bag and duct tape, he also immediately noticed that JJ had rapidly decomposed. There was dirt and mold on the tops and bottoms. You could tell even with the clothing on that the body was in a state of decomposition by the color of the skin. Warren then went on into graphic detail about the state of J.J.'s body, including a scratched leg abrasion on the left side of his neck and a hemorrhage on his right thumbnail. As Warren was speaking, jurors took detailed notes while Vallow looked at the witness stand. There were also other areas that were concerning or suspicious, bruising on the ankles which may have been associated with the duct tape. All of the organs showed decompositional changes, but he did not see any trauma to the internal organs or evidence of overt natural disease to any of the organs. Tylee's autopsy was different to J.D.'s, he said, because he usually performs autopsies on entire bodies, but Tylee's remains were received in three separate sealed bags. Warren said that his team x-rayed the remains to look for foreign objects that could give them a clue about the cause of death. Instead, they found a collection of bones along with other debris, a lot of mud and dirt. He said his team was able to locate some of Tyvee's organs that had severe decomposition and several bones. They weren't nice, clean bones, he said. They were bones that had significant artifacts secondary to the fire. They were blackened and charred. And now we're going to jump into the main case for the day. We're going to talk about Phoebe Hanschuk. Phoebe was born May 9, 1986 in Melbourne, Australia. She was one of three kids with two younger brothers, and the family was said to be very close-knit. Phoebe was athletic, free-spirited, fun, and outgoing, as well as friendly and strong. She was also said to be very artistic and creative. As she hit her teenage years, though, she had some teenage issues, and at one point she started hanging out with, quote, the wrong crowd, which who among us hasn't at one point or another, right? She was also drinking, though, and experimenting with drugs, and had lots of relationships. This is not too unusual, though, but Phoebe also ran away from home, once not returning for nearly two months, and there is some speculation as to where exactly she was during that two months, and I don't think anybody is really sure. It is said, though, that she did have some shady friends, and that she perhaps stayed with one of them during that time. But once Phoebe returned home after the two-month absence, she got some counseling and started on antidepressants, which helped stabilize her mood swings. Reports say that possibly she suffered from depression, anxiety, and some sort of bipolar disorder— However, it was a challenge when her parents decided to divorce not long after. This kind of exacerbated her mental health issues. The divorce was really, really tough on Phoebe, who is said to begin dating one of her teachers during this time, who was twice her age. She was past the age of consent, so it was not illegal, but it was also highly suspect and definitely against the rules of the school she attended. That teacher ended up leaving Phoebe's school, and at one point he was said to have moved in with Phoebe and her mother, seems really wild to me, but even so, the relationship was reportedly loving and normal in all other accounts. This relationship eventually ran its course, but Phoebe began dating a string of older men after that, and she was also partying pretty hard and consuming lots of drugs and alcohol, it said. At the age of 23, Phoebe got a position as a receptionist at a salon outside of Melbourne, Australia. While working in this salon, she met a 39-year-old man by the name of Anthony Hampel. He got his hair done at the salon and caught Phoebe's eye. Charming and handsome, Hampel was an events planner in Melbourne. He was the son of a retired Supreme Court judge and stepson of a judge currently serving. No one, I think, thought this relationship was going to last at the beginning. But after five months of dating, Ant, or so he was known to those close to him, asked Phoebe to move in with him in his 12th floor luxury apartment. In October 2009, in Melbourne, the two moved in together. In the meantime, the couple's differences kept piling up. Aunt, who was definitely more conscious about social appearances, was trying to get Phoebe another job to replace her receptionist gig, which she thought was not good enough for her. Aunt was neat and tidy, whereas Phoebe was a little bit more attached to a cluttered life. She was very free spirited, and he was more controlling. It was also reported that Phoebe confided in friends that Aunt was verbally abusing her. He would call her over and over on nights she was out with friends and he would sometimes kick her out of their apartment after arguments, forcing her to stay with friends on occasion. These were all red flags after such a short period of time, but this cycle of fights and leaving continued for months. Phoebe had reportedly even told some of her friends that she was done for good and planning a trip to India to volunteer and start a new life. Interestingly enough though, there was also a trip to Paris planned with Aunt that was coming up, and she had not canceled that trip. So, as far as her friends and family knew, she still planned on going to Paris with Aunt. By December 2nd, 2010, one month prior to the planned trip to France, and after a night of partying, the couple woke up, and Aunt went out, presumably for work, while Phoebe stayed in bed to sleep in and kind of sleep off her night of partying the previous evening. The day was normal enough. Phoebe eventually did get up. She sent some emails. She hung around the condo for a bit, and by 11.44 a.m., the fire alarm went off, and the building cameras showed Phoebe and her dog briefly exit the building. She then returned to the 12th floor shortly after. Not much is known about what Phoebe did from noon to the time when Aunt came home from his job. There were no calls, texts, purchases, or anything of that nature, to show what had happened, but Aunt arrived a little after 6 p.m. to find the condo empty. Phoebe and Aunt had previously planned to go out with Phoebe's dad that evening, and she was known to be really close with them, so he knew she wouldn't want to miss that. They were scheduled to have dinner at one of Phoebe's favorite spots, and it was strange that she was not there when Aunt got home. In addition, Phoebe's purse, keys, and wallet were all on the counter along with her cell phone. There was also a hair straightener plugged in, but no sign of Phoebe. According to Ant, he didn't see anything suspicious though, even though he saw broken glass on the floor. When authorities later inspected this area, they saw a broken wine glass and pieces were everywhere on the floor. There was another glass nearby, which showed that there had been wine in it previously. There was also blood smeared on the computer nearby. It wasn't a lot, so Everyone kind of figured that Phoebe had broken the glass and perhaps accidentally cut herself and maybe got a little bit on other areas of the house. Unfazed, Aunt called Phoebe's dad and let him know that they wouldn't be at dinner that night. And there were sort of mixed stories on this. Some people say Phoebe's dad called and others say that Aunt called first. Either way, though, Phoebe was usually very reliable and didn't miss family events. So everyone was starting to get really worried when she didn't show up for this dinner with her father and had just mysteriously disappeared with no word, no note, no nothing. So in the meantime, though, instead of getting freaked out or even searching for his girlfriend, Ant hangs out at the apartment looking at his computer and eventually ordering dinner from the same restaurant they'd been scheduled to eat at that night. He put that order in between 6 and 7 p.m., It seems really odd for people looking in on this situation, but around 7 that night on December 2nd, 2010, the manager of the building called the concierge to go to the basement trash compactor room to complete a task, probably throw something away or open the door and check something in that room. But when the concierge got down to the trash room, he tried to open the door and it seemed like something was stuck behind the door. Finally able to push the door open, the concierge goes inside and finds Phoebe lying on the floor in a pool of blood. Now, he did not know that it was Phoebe initially. He just saw a young woman on the floor in a pool of blood who was unresponsive. The concierge called the authorities, however, the paramedics were denied entry at some point. They were told that this was a crime scene, implying that the authorities had determined right away that the young woman on the floor was dead, without so much as taking her pulse. There was no sign that anyone had even checked her for a temperature or any sort of vital sign Meanwhile on the 12th floor, Ant had no idea what was going on below, and a little after 8pm the delivery guy mentioned the craziness down in the bottom part of the building and Aunt finally decides to go down and check in the lobby to see if there's anything going on with his girlfriend who's been missing for a few hours. Police showed Aunt a photo of a tattoo on the young woman found in the trash compactor room and Ant confirmed that it was Phoebe that was lying on the trash compactor room floor. Police then informed him that his girlfriend was no longer alive. The authorities then started piecing together a theory that sometime between 12 and 7 p.m., Phoebe had fallen down the garbage chute. The body had been found around 7 p.m. Evidently, there were multiple abrasions on Phoebe's limbs and torso. Her legs were fractured, and one of her feet was almost completely separated from her body. This allowed police to conclude that she had arrived in the trash compactor room by climbing into the compactor chute as opposed to walking down there herself. This is really interesting in itself because the chute is only about 14.5 inches by 8.6 inches. So it was very, very narrow. It was about 22 to 24 inches in diameter meaning that if someone went down that chute, they would have to be pretty small. The authorities believed that based on Phoebe's injuries, she had to have gone feet first down the garbage chute from the 12th floor. The blood trail led authorities to the further conclusion that Phoebe survived the initial fall from the 12th floor, But when her foot hit the compactor blade, she nearly severed it, and this caused her to bleed out as she tried to drag herself in the darkness toward the door. From the start, there was a general presumption that Phoebe's death was suicide, with no signs of foul play. The CC footage of the building wasn't pulled until five days after Phoebe's death, and the apartment was not inspected, and everyone involved in the investigation just assumed that Phoebe crawled into the trash chute of her own free will. When authorities checked her blood, they did find a sleeping medication similar to Ambien. Her blood alcohol level was three times the legal definition of intoxicated as well. So the combination of those two factors led them to believe that she was very much impaired at that time. The coroner believes the drug interaction when combined with alcohol could have caused hallucinations or sleepwalking, as well as other wild behaviors that can sometimes be psychotic. The death was ruled a suicide due to the drugs and alcohol. However, others point out the reaction of drugs and alcohol could also have impacted her, so she couldn't have climbed into the chute without help. It definitely seems unlikely or difficult for someone of Phoebe's size to climb up and enter the chute feet first. I mean, gee, mini Christmas. I feel like if I tried to do that, it would be absolutely impossible. No one that Phoebe knew believed this was a suicide. They just simply did not believe she would end her own life, especially not in this way. Phoebe's family did their own investigations, though, discovering some very interesting tidbits. When they found Phoebe, her jeans had been pulled down to just below her knees. The fall was unlikely to have caused her pants to come down, especially not feet first, as was suggested. The second thing was her belt was undamaged and still looped through her jeans. The third... If the jeans were pulled down, she also wouldn't have been able to climb into the chute, so that didn't make sense. There were no fingerprints or traces of blood on the chute door, and Phoebe had not been known to have been sad at that time. She had a lot of cool events coming up and trips, etc., and they just didn't think that she was interested in ending her own life. Phoebe's family then ordered a similar compactor and got someone of similar size to reenact the supposed suicidal fall. The reenactment showed how hard it was to get into the compactor feet first. Someone likely had to have held the chute door open. But it would have also been very challenging to place someone into the compactor, particularly if that person was intoxicated. But the main problem that they found was that the police had not tested anything or processed the scene as a possible crime scene. Phoebe's family believes someone besides Ant was involved, perhaps an unknown third party. Ant has not been formally named as a suspect, but he does have an alibi. He was at work, and both CC camera footage and key fobs did not show Ant at the scene at the time of Phoebe's suspected suicide. By 2013, an inquest was conducted and Phoebe's family raised about $50,000 to make sure it was conducted. They refused to give up and believed Phoebe's death was suicide. By December 10, 2014, the inquest confirmed that Phoebe's death was not homicide, but was accidental, changing it from a suicide on the death paperwork. The coroner stated that Phoebe was under the influence of drugs and alcohol when she climbed into the chute feet first. They said she also had a pension for climbing and could have easily found a way to climb into the chute if she so desired that. Third-party involvement was also ruled out and the case was officially closed. This formally ruled out Ant, but even so, Phoebe's family didn't believe that this was an accident. They ran out of funds and were unable to continue investigating or fighting in the legal system. As an interesting side note, four years after Phoebe died and a few hours after their relationship was reported to have ended, Aunt's girlfriend Bailey Snyder was also found dead. She was about 25 years old and he was 51 at that time. Bailey was found in the family's kitchen floor with a cord tied around her neck. They ruled this one as a suicide as well by self-strangulation. All of this is highly suspect to many people involved in this case and onlookers as well. Ant is married now though, and still living in Melbourne, Australia, running his events planning business. This case was super interesting, not only because of the possible involvement of a third party, but because experts don't believe suicide was an option here. Then you factor in Ant's relationship after, and all the mysterious circumstances in his life, and it comes up just being sort of a gray area now there are many people that believe that a third party has to be involved here in some way but i just wonder what the motivation would be there's no insurance involved and what would aunt really gain by assisting in the death of his girlfriend none of it makes sense and they did not find any evidence of a third party involved no CC camera footage and things of that nature. But then again, they did not do a formal type of a criminal investigation of Ant's apartment. So how could they possibly even begin to tell if there were true clues and signs that someone else was there besides Phoebe? I find it interesting that there was one broken glass on the floor and she was having a glass of wine on the counter, obviously. So could somebody have come by? Could she have had a friend or someone coming by to provide her with some drugs? Who knows? And I don't believe that we ever will know in this case. But we are going to go ahead and wrap this one up for the day. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. or at the BFDpodcast at gmail.com. We do occasionally, as well, post pictures on Instagram. or at the BFDPodcast. And please join us again next time when we talk about more weird, wacky, and wild tales. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life.
1: Bye!